chapter 2. We're in week 2 of a four-part series. Uh, we're going through the book of Jonah. It's a short book, four chapters. The chapters are not even lengthy. They're fairly short uh, chapters. Uh, but our goal is to examine the scriptures, specifically the book of Jonah, uh, this week uh, through a gospel-centric lens. And what I mean by that is we want to, uh, in light of the gospel and understanding the gospel, we want to be able to read Jonah and have a better understanding of it in light of the gospel. So the scribes and the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign. Uh, we shared this last week, and in response, Jesus makes a comparison of himself with Jonah. Uh, he does this in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, this is verse 39 and 40. It says, but he, that's Jesus, answered and said to them, that's the scribes and Pharisees, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Now Jesus did... Uh, several things for us through that passage. One is he clarified that Jonah is a real person. He is a prophet. He's identified uh, in the Old Testament as uh, one of the prophets. And uh, Jesus verified that not only um, was he a prophet, that the narrative about him was true. That just as he did this, that Jesus is going to be, the Son of Man is going to be in the belly of the, of the earth for three days, three nights. That's, it's called the sign of Jonah. And that's where, when we got to the end of chapter one, that's where it kind of left us, right? Uh, it kind of leaves us with uh, Jonah being in the belly of the whale, belly of this great fish, uh, and he's there for three days and three nights, and the suspense of the end of that is he's left for dead. Um, in, in fact, if you read it, and you don't know the gospel or you don't know the rest of the story, you're going to immediately assume what? The guy's dead. That's, I mean, you, no one survives that, right? The only way that someone would survive that is if there was what? Divine purpose and divine intervention behind it, that there was a reason for it. Something, something more significant is going on. And then we have Jesus come along and say, listen, you want to see a sign, I'm going to give you one one and it's really all that's needed and just like jonah was in the belly of the well for three days three nights the son of man referring to himself he's going to be something significant that we're going to identify that jesus did is going to be related to three days and three nights that's pretty significant right so before we jump into our our focal text let's look at a little bit of historical background just to, as a reminder Jonah uh, is not allegory. It's not parable. It's not fictional character. Uh, we, we mentioned that last week and again this morning uh, because 2 Kings 14 identifies Jonah as a real person. Jewish prophet, uh, northern kingdom of Israel. He, reign, he, he was during the reign of Jeroboam II. And he was to go to uh, a, a Gentile city, the city of Nineveh. It's the... Um, it's the capital city of Assyria. And he's supposed to go and address the moral decay of the people there. It's interesting because it is a Gentile city. He's contemporaries with Hosea and Amos, and they're addressing the moral decay of Israel, but Jonah is going to go and, and address them. 
Now, for years, a lot of people have said, this is just a made-up story. There's no such person. In fact, they've even said this. There's no historical proof that a city named Nineveh ever existed. So, you know, they're they're like, "There's, there's no way. Well, as yeah, as uh, history would prove, uh, throughout throughout history, given enough you know opportunity to to search and excavate, we find that it verifies the Bible over and over again. 1800s come along, there's an excavation, and they discover a city. Uh, this city is found, and they found some some uh, even documents that were buried in with this city. Uh, the name of the city is Nineveh. Uh, It is precisely where you would expect it to be. And here's what's fascinating about it. Uh, In Arab, uh, they have a name for the mounds that actually covered this old uh, uh, forgotten city. The name for the mounds in Arabic is Nabu, Nabi, rather, Nabi Yunus, which is translated from Arabic into English as the prophet Jonah. (laughs) So again... That's what, that's what it's, no, these mounds were called, well, the, the, were called the prophet Jonah. Again, over and over and over, uh, history uh, verifies the scripture's narrative. So, if we're going to approach then Jonah with a gospel-centric lens, it's important to remind ourselves, what are the themes of the gospel? The gospel is, is made up of four themes. You can think of it this way. The first theme of the gospel is creation. You and I were created in the image of God. You were created with purpose. God has created you in his image to reflect who he is. In fact, when he created Adam and Eve, unlike anything else that was created, he said specifically that mankind was created in his image. Now, what exactly does that mean? And theologians have a lot of different ideas, a lot of different suggestions. But the New Testament gives us some clarity, in, in particular in one passage when it talks about we're a new creation in Christ and what it means to be uh, in him as a new creation. And part of that means that we were created to reflect God's righteousness and his holiness that he has created us in his image, then in some way, the holiness of God is going to be reflected through us. And in some way, the goodness of God is going to be reflected through his creation, specifically of mankind. And we have that first theme of the gospel, that is creation. The second theme of the gospel is known as the fall. And that means that even though we were created with a purpose, and that purpose is to reflect the holiness and righteousness of God, we do a terrible job of it. We're not really that good at it, right? Why is that? Because we sin. We brought sin into the world. And because sin is, is part of our nature, we have, uh, we have invited sin into our life, we don't reflect the righteousness and holiness of God as we were initially created to do. So we have the first theme of creation, the second theme of the fall, which brings about sin, And then we have the third theme of the gospel, and it's called redemption. Redemption is what? God has sent his son to redeem us. In other words, to bring us back into relationship with him. If sin separates us from God, 
which is what the fall did. It separated us from God, not only in a spiritual sense, but even in a physical sense. We, we no longer walk in the cool of the day with the Lord. We no longer have that physical relationship to walk with him. We don't ha- even have the ability to approach him spiritually unless what? We are redeemed and brought back into relationship. So how does redemption happen? Well, redemption comes through Christ. Christ came into the world. He died upon the cross, was resurrected on our behalf, not because of any sin that he did, but because of our sin. And he died and took upon our sin upon himself and redeemed us. That means to buy us out of slavery to sin. And then he has restored our relationship and fellowship with God. And that's the third theme of the gospel is redemption. And then we have this fourth theme of the gospel. And the fourth theme of the gospel is restoration. That is, we were created with purpose. We have messed things up. We've sinned. God has redeemed us and brought us back into fellowship with him. And now he is restoring within us uh, the ability to once again reflect his righteousness, his holiness, and do the things that we were created to do. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and we become more like Christ to reflect who he is, to become in his likeness. So, with those four themes in mind, creation, the fall, redemption, restoration, as we read through the book of Jonah, in fact, I would suggest this, as you read through any book of the Bible, you're going to see those themes over and over and over. You're going to see a theme that God has created you for a purpose. He has purpose for your life. And then you're going to see a theme we mess it up. And then you're going to see a theme of God's redemption stepping in. And then you're going to see a theme of restoration. And that's ultimately where we're headed now. We're in a season of, of we want to see souls redeemed. And he is, he is redeeming us. And then he is restoring us to his likeness. And one day we will be fully restored to see him face to face. So those are the themes of the gospel. So as we began to unpack chapter 1 of Jonah, what did we see? Did we see creation? Did we see the theme of creation? We saw it in a couple of ways. One is we see the theme of creation in the fact that God gave word to Jonah with a specific purpose for his Uh, for his calling. In other words, it goes back to God's created us with purpose. He has created us to do certain things with a purpose for for his purposes. And what we see is a contrast in chapter 1. We see that Jonah is quickly doing what? Going to that second theme of the gospel, the fall, rebellion. He's not listening. Yeah, hey, I've created you for a purpose, and part of your purpose is to go and reach the Gentile people and what does, what does Jonah do? No, I'm going to rebel. Why? Because of sin. At the same time, we see what? God sent word to his creation, the earth, and we see the wind move. We see the sea grow tempestuous. And the sea and the wind was what? Immediately obedient. So the creation around us responds better than we do. Why? Because we have a sin nature. We have fallen. We have broken that fellowship with God. The wind obeys God's voice perfectly and without delay. The sea obeys the voice of God perfectly and without delay. So you see the creation of God, the earth, in obedience to what God demands, 
and then you see his creation, the very person that would be created in his image is doing what? Rebelling. Rebelling. And that's the themes that we see over and over again. So chapter 1 does what? It introduces us to the idea of the theme of creation. It points us to the fact that we are a rebellious people, even the one that's identified as the servant. In fact, the, the pagan mariners that were on the boat with Jonah were blown away because Jonah described his God how? My God's the creator. Again, going right back to that theme, so in case we missed it, he was like, my God's the creator, the one who created the sea. My God's the creator, the one who created the heavens that, uh, that are uh, the atmosphere, everything around us. God created all of this, and that's the God that I serve. So you can imagine their confusion. What in the world is going on that you would allow this uh, curse to come upon us? And what we discovered is that when we ignore God's will for our lives, then it causes problems in every area of our lives. It causes problems at our work, our marriage, our family, our relationships. And what do we do? We begin to see and experience storms in our life and in every area of our life because of the disobedience to the voice of God. And then ultimately that does what? Leads us to that third theme. We see the third theme emerge in Jonah chapter 2. So even though we've rebelled against God, Christ has come to bring us back into relationship with himself. And that's redemption. So the question then is this. How does that happen? How do we see Jonah experience redemption? And that's what we want with our gospel-centric lens. That's what we want to look for uh, this morning. Is how does, how does Jonah experience redemption? And then maybe a better question for us is, how can we obtain that redemption? How can we have that same redemption?